This podcast is brought to you by the Islamic Center at NYU. For more information, visit our website at www.icnyu.org. So, I think building off of our conversations from last couple of weeks, I thought we'd delve a little bit deeper now into the discussion on uh, the self and self-development. We started by watching Blood Brothers, um, there was a documentary on the relationship between Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali, and there was necessity upon both of them. And then last week, we looked at a particular hadith that essentially says that the entire earth is a mystery. But along the prism and frame of meaning, not just like you can pray wherever you want, but essentially that if the whole world is the place where someone can pray, it means that the whole world is a place that someone can be Muslim also. And to recognize, well, what becomes challenging for us in being able to just manifest our religious identity in different settings and different places. So I wanted us to start to hone in on now an individualized recognition of ourselves and to start to build out a sense of over the course of the coming weeks, months, years, you know, how we're crafting with very deliberate strategy, uh, a trajectory that's around growth, uh, movement forward. When we talk about the self, like what are we referring to? What does it mean? What do you think? What's the self? Or how about this, just to get us going, if you guys want to talk in small groups, maybe like two or three people, and this is like our pop. Like, what is the self? And for those who are on the Zoom as well, um, just if you want to reflect, you know, what is, what do we mean when we're talking about the self? So feel free to break into little groups. What does this mean, the self? Yeah, no, we'll come back in a few minutes. I'd say the self is like a combination between like your body and your soul. And like you're not. That's like kind of those so what do we come up with if we were to give a definition to the self we're talking about self-improvement self-development self-esteem self-confidence self-actualization, self-anything. What does this word self mean? What did you guys discuss? Um, you kind of thought about it like twice, but like the body, the soul, and like also you're not. Okay. The body, the soul, the nuts. What else? What did you guys discuss? Something very similar, but it's like we talked about like your spirituality, Okay. Anything else? Like what makes you you? 
your relationships with people and like your environment and how that affects you? Anything else? Like what makes me me? There's not a right or a wrong answer, right? But we want to have an understanding because you're not going to be able to develop something if you don't know what the, it is that you're trying to develop. There is ambiguity to it. Like if somebody said to me, vacuum the carpet, I have a tangible construct there. I know what it means, right? Vacuum carpet. It's not hard. When you have two terms now, like self-development, what does that mean? So we have to break down the terminologies in order for us to then understand what those things are. So any other kind of recognitions for your own understanding? Like what does the self mean to you? Character? Great. Anything else? Morals. Morals. Ethics. Okay. Amazing. Now we talk about development. What does the word development mean? Yeah. It's not a trick question. <laughs> Growth. What else? Change. Anything else? Learning. Learning. Implementing what you learn. What else? Improvement. Development. What does it mean? Any other thoughts? Addition. Okay. Continuity to it. Great. None of these are bad things, right? Like growth is not bad. Change is not bad necessarily. Learning and acting upon what you learn, also not bad. Improvement, having continuity to it is also not problematic. These are all good things. So individually now, if we start to combine these two, whether we're looking at it in terms of characters, morals, ethics, relationships, spiritual selves, emotional, mental, physical, the body, the soul, the nuts. If I was to ask you in these holistic sense of you, where you have a particular trajectory for your own growth, or a strategy around improvement, what would you be able to point to? Because we live in a world that is constantly saying, find your purpose, find your purpose, find your purpose, right? In my opinion, if people were telling us more so to live in pursuit of holistic wellness as opposed to individual gain and purpose, we'd likely see a lot more change in terms of how things function. But if you can't see yourself as an entire individual that has lived experiences that have literally gone through in your day-to-day, -day, every day since you've been alive, or to then think about a trajectory moving forward that is not just about 
gains of the physical or gains of the material, but a development strategy to you in your entirety. Why is this important? Why is this something that we want to do? Like, why should somebody be in a space where they are improving or growing the body, the soul? They are improving emotionally, spiritually, and there's change that is rooted in learning and adaptation. What's the point? It's the alternative. If you don't. Yeah. So why? Why would I do it? Life isn't stagnant. Other thoughts? Anything? I'm trying to find the chat something on here. Why why do we want to do this? Why do you do anything with what you do? Why do you study what you study or why are you in this school? Like what's the claim? that you're buying into, that what you're in pursuit of now, what's it going to do for you? For what? But, but why? <laughs> this is what people tell us is going to give us happiness, right? You get a job, you'll be happy. You make money, you'll be happy. You get a degree, you'll be happy. The credential will make you a better potential candidate for a spouse. Marriage is supposed to make you happy. And having babies makes you happy. And getting a house makes you happy. Everything is in a sense of the pursuit of happiness. Our tradition posits that balance is what we're supposed to be about. A people of a middle way. And being people of a middle way is in a space where you are now able to recognize that the middle way is not just necessarily here's an extreme and here's an extreme and I'm right here, but a sense of having balance where there's so much that's in a disarray and imbalance. And balance can't come if the only understanding you have of yourself or what you grow is just the mental or just the body or just character or just your spiritual self, but to understand yourself as a broader, fully autonomous individual that is a combination of multiple parts, you're multifaceted, and it requires a trajectory of growth in all of those areas. Does that make sense? So if we were to look at this within our tradition, we have terminologies that come into play so you have the physical, which is the jessed, the badan, it's your body. Like the vessel, the, your soul and your heart, whatever. You can see it, right? It's there. Everybody has a body, right? Yes. <laughs> you have what's called the akal, the intellect. You have the qalb, the spiritual heart. You have the nafs, which is the ego, the lower self. And we have the ruh, which is the soul. All of these are things that make you you. All of these, though, are not things that have points of existence that 
come into manifestation simultaneously. In the Adamic narrative of creation, when Adam peace be upon him is created, he is created now in a sphere of existence where all of his progeny is shown to him, right? In the verse in the Quran, it says, Alastu rabbikum, am I not your Lord? They all say yes. All of us say yes. The goal in this world is to take either steps of remembrance that help us to be people who remember that covenant, or we're taking steps of forgetfulness to take us away from a recognition of that covenant, right? And they'll all make us from the Zakirin, people of remembrance. The souls, when they're created, they exist in this abode of the arwah, where your ruh is before it enters into this worldly plane. So it's in a space now where it precedes the existence of the physical. When your soul moves from that existence into this worldly existence, it goes into a second realm. So the first place that we're in is in a place that is an abode of souls, right? First, first existence, souls all together, right? We're all there. We go from there now into the womb. It's called the rahim. There's a deep reflection point here that the first transition that Allah puts us in now from the abode of the arwah is to be in an abode of mercy. The womb, the rahim, is derived from the same root as mercy, rahmah. And there's hadith that say that the rahim is essentially forged. It's an extension, a branch from ar-Rahman. And from that womb, you have now an entrance point into the dunya, the worldly existence. That's where we're at right now. There's some who haven't gotten here yet, right? Because we weren't told like we're the last like batch of humanity. There's going to be individuals that continue to be birthed into this world. What's remarkable is that when a child is born, one of my teachers, he said, you know why people love babies so much? Whether it's their babies or not, whether it's a cute baby or an ugly baby, right? And, and there's no ugly babies, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not because they smell a certain way or because, you know, you remember having your own children or whatever else. He said that why people are so attracted to these new infants is that their souls have not been impacted now by the material world. They're just in a state of like real light and illumination. You can think about this also. If you've ever been blessed to witness somebody taking their shahada and converting to Islam, everybody jumps up and down and they're super happy for the most part. But that person also is in a state where what our tradition says through the Quranic verse is that their entrance into the faith turns their bad deeds into good deeds by some interpretations. In other interpretations, it says that everything good they did counts and the bad is erased. 
but essentially they're just in this state to new again, right? You're happy because you're feeding off of the luminosity of a soul that just exists in this way that doesn't have anything problematic with it. That soul is now moving into a physical state of existence. The jesed and the badan is interjected in a dunya we sense. But the nafs also doesn't exist prior to this worldly existence, right? Like the nafs is just coming into play here. It's not coming into play someplace else. And the movement forward now as you go from the dunya into a fourth realm that we call the barzakh, it's an intermediary realm. Where the grave is. Right, may Allah make the best of our deeds, the last of our deeds. From there, you have a day of judgment. And then you have eternity. And so as a creation, we are created, but we are created for eternal existence. These spheres now of existence that we go through, these realms of existence, they play different roles. Barza, the grave, is meant to be a potential place of rest, a place of slumber. Right? There's narrations in our tradition that say that for those who do well in this worldly existence, the rest they have in the grave is like the rest of a newlywed couple on their wedding night. It's just like peaceful. The day of judgment is a day of balance and accounting. It's where, like, the questions of why will be answered. Everything is going to be made whole and restitute. The Quran says, like, the ram with no horns is going to have recompense against the ram that has horns. Everything is going to get its due, and balance is going to be restored. But you can't do anything actively on the day of judgment. You can't say, yeah, Allah, let me go and forgive that person who apologized to me. But let me go say sorry for the gossiping or the lying. Let me go bang out two more rakahs or something like that. It's a day of assessment. It's not a day of action. The grave is a place of rest. It's not a place of movement. People in this world, which is a world of action, can do things to benefit you in those worlds, but you can't. And for the purposes of what we're talking about in terms of what makes us a whole, what's moving forward now is that thing that makes you and I distinct from the rest of creation, that soul that exists within us. And the cultivation of a strategy that says, how do I appeal to the various facets of myself? Within the prism of modern psychology, when one identifies the self, they purely identify it from the standpoint of a cognitive function rooted in a mental state of existence. And then experiences that one has. And that's not a problem, but it's a part of something bigger. Because you still do have a body. You still do have an emotional sphere. You still do have so much that makes you you. And some of these then have gradations to them. The Quran, it identifies different categories of the nafs, the ego. So it speaks about 
the nafs al-amar bisu, the nafs that is commanded towards evil. May Allah protect us from that. It speaks about the nafs al-nawama as a second tier, the self-reproaching nafs, the one that is in a state of kind of oscillation, and it recognizes that what it does well, how it can improve upon it, and what it's not doing so well, how it can kind of confront that. And then there's the nafs al-mutma'inna that is also derived from the Qur'an that speaks about the nafs that's in a state of just contentment, a state of rest, right? May Allah grant us all a state that's like this. I want you to take a minute now to just think. Like reflect, you got a notebook, pull it out. You have like some kind of apparatus if you don't have a notebook. But in terms of these facets of yourself, what would you say your current state is in relation to them? Does that make sense? I'm not saying what's your goal, because in order for us to have goals, we need to know where we exist in relation to goals. Right? So I can say, like, I want to go to Jannah, right? No, I'll make us all people of Jannah. But in order for me to know where I stand in relation to it, my path and trajectory has to be identified through a prism of not just identifying where I want to be, but where I stand in relation to it, right? Because if here's my goal and I want to get to it, and I think that I'm here, I'm going to create a path that has me go like this. But if in reality, this is where I want to be, but my starting point is not where I perceive myself. My starting point is here. If I try to still take that same pathway, I'm going to end up not where I want to be, not because I don't know where I'd like to conclude, but I don't know where I'm beginning. Does that make sense? So in these frames, your physical, intellectual, spiritual, the nafs, the ruh, what's your current state of relationship to these things? And with a prism of vulnerability, it's just you talking with yourself. Take like five minutes now and just say, where am I in relation to this? How would I identify the state that I'm in in relation to this? And then we'll come back and discuss. Does that make sense? Okay. If you got a notebook, you just start bringing a notebook. It's better to reflect in a notebook. If you don't, you pull out like a phone, a computer, and start like engaging in the process for yourself. Like, where am I in relation to my physical self right now? How would I assess and define that? Where am I in terms of, you know, my spiritual, my intellectual, my nafs, uh, my roof, and then we'll come back and kind of discuss for a bit. Are people on the Zoom seeing my screen or seeing me? They see this? 
Let's see. We should see both that you're sharing. Yeah, you can see both. Oh. 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 <laughs> so you don't have to say what you wrote down but just as a process like what came up was there things that were surprising to you as you were reflecting there were things that felt good about things that were difficult how was that in Reflecting on those various facets of yourself, what are some of the things that came up as you were writing things down? What did you notice? Anything you were surprised about? Oh, um, I think it was more difficult for the soul. It was more difficult for the soul part. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. I had a lot of uncertainty. Like, I didn't know what questions to ask in terms of my soul and even the state of my other aspects. Meaning, like, the physical state? Physical, awful, spiritual heart. Okay. What else? Yeah. Really, I felt kind of the opposite, where I kind of could, like, tell, like, where my soul is at, but, like, physically, I was, like, Oddly and surprisingly, like kind of unsure. Like I felt very uncertain about how I'm doing physically. I guess because like I think I just have a tendency of like convincing myself I physically feel some way when I probably actually don't. Okay. Anyone else? Anything interesting come up for you as you're reflecting? Yeah. You know, when I'm reflecting, I kind of focus more on the negative stuff. That's you also were yeah more negative. I found a lot of negative stuff more than positive. Okay. Does anybody else have that experience? Yeah. More negative. Did anybody have a positive experience? <laughs> no. <laughs> so reflection is not self-deprecation, right? And we don't want it to be self-deprecation. Just like contemplation is not rumination. And they're not just words that rhyme, they have meaning. So when you self-deprecate, you're giving like Shaitan access to victory over you. The Prophet Islam has a companion who used to have trouble drinking alcohol publicly. And he would come to take the Had punishment for it. And when he would come to do so, people would speak poorly of this person. And the Prophet would say to them, don't say such things. He loves God and his messenger. In another narration, he would say that don't assist shaitan in victory over your brother. He loves God and his messenger. And people struggle. Most people don't turn towards haram because they're bad people. People turn towards haram because they don't have community support. I had a woman in our community email me this morning who, mashallah, wrote in her email, she's been sober for nine years. And her email was a note of thanks to the community on a whole, right? And this morning, I also got an email from another sister, another part of the country, 
who says, I'm struggling with my drinking, and I don't know who to turn to, so I feel like everybody is just going to judge me. The one who's gone nine years sober is because she has people who in this community accept her for a whole person and help her to take it day by day and to recognize that she can get to a place and move forward. The one who struggles is somebody who believes that she cannot overcome because everyone will only see her through that prism. And more importantly, she only sees herself through that way as well. And so you don't want to be a means through which Shaitan has victory over others, but you also don't want to be the means through which Shaitan has victory over you. And there's a nuance that's there, but it's important to recognize, like, you are beautiful because God says he made you beautiful. The Quran says, we made humanity in the most beautiful of forms. That's the default set that you're in. A good person can still be better, right? The nafsa lawama, which is the state that most of us are in, is a state that recognizes where you have areas of improvement and where what you do well, you can do better. But in order to understand what you can do well better, you first have to be able to admit that you do certain things well. And if it's hard to recognize your own lights and your own beauty, like that's what Shaitan does not want you to do. The Quran it juxtaposes quite often elements of light and elements of shadows, right? Nur and Vil. And the shadow exists through the presence of light. But if the shadow now starts to overwhelm your perspective and it's telling you to only see yourself in terms of what's not there and what's lacking and what's inadequate, you're going to give yourself a headache, but God forbid you're going to start seeing other people like that too. Right? Like, show me hadith where the Prophet's default is to point out what's wrong with somebody versus to find what's inherently good within them and empower them through that, to remind them that they possess something that's good. How you see people will not tell you just about them, but how you see people will tell you a lot about yourself. The husn of the Prophet, his state of ihsan, helped him to see what was inherently good within people and empower them to that, right? How you see yourself as well is important. Does this make sense? Right? So we're not going to get to a place of self-growth if we believe already that we're the worst of the worst. Everybody's got things that they can improve upon. But that improvement necessitates a starting point that's also still needed in an element of positivity. Where do you think it comes from, the negative frame and the negative prism that we constantly see ourselves through? Again, yeah, it's not a right or a wrong. Like, what are some of the potential sources? Why is that like a default? If I say, think about yourself, why do you think about yourself negatively at first? I think about what I need to work on already there. But that's not what you said. There's a difference between having a growth mindset to say that here's what I can improve versus having a mindset that says I'm terrible. You see what I mean? Right? Here, your hand raised. I mean, I 
Yeah, I don't think you can do it with hands. Your mask is so stylish. Yeah, and matches your hoodie so well, too. Yeah, I was so stupid. I don't know. I think, I mean, it's not too simple of an answer, but I feel like if you just simply insecure, you're just going to be very easy to blame yourself more often. No, it's not a simple answer. And you just did what I said, don't do. Right? You can't even answer without hating on yourself before you answer. You see what I mean? Right? Where does it come from? That's not humility, right? You don't want to interject doubt is a premise to your statements because there's certain things you know how to do. And that's, it's not arrogance to say I know how to... Do you feel arrogant when you know how to clean your dishes? No, you know how to make your bed. So if you know how to make wudu, you know how to make wudu. Then you move on to the next thing. When you can start to admit that you know how to be kind, that you actually know how to be compassionate, then you can ask yourself, well, why am I not doing it? Why am I only extending greetings to people who look a certain way? Why am I only interacting and inviting people who come from certain backgrounds? Why do I hesitate in opening up circles of engagement and interaction as a point of productive growth? But the recognition of your potential of a catalyst of goodness and beauty and also removes the excuses of why you're not living up to it, right? And the pursuit of all of these products in a heavily consumer-driven society that tells you that your happiness is contingent upon purchasing what's being sold to you is going to give you fleeting moments of complacency, not everlasting contentment, right? And what makes these people with contentment? But you got to figure out, well, where is the imbalance, really? And sometimes it's in the physical state of wellness, right? There's hadith where the Prophet says that he does not like, like the portly scholar, right? If you are like a person of knowledge and you're not taking care of your physical self, that's a problem. But to understand you have an emotional self, the spiritual self, the mental self, you have different facets of you that are tangible and intangible, and you have parts of you that are physical and metaphysical. To be able to own up to the idea that I don't know how to engage these parts is important because then you open the door to say, let me learn how to do it. How do I take care of the ruh? How do I take care of the fun? What does it mean to really take care of the jessah, the badan? How am I engaging my akal? And allowing for that to be something that has aspiration to it as well. That's not just through religious instruction and religious ritual, right? Because we don't have like a monastic type of faith that says the only way for you to reach self-actualization is that everybody becomes a religious scholar and everybody becomes somebody who is on the pulpit. No, if anything, our tradition tells us the opposite of that. It says that we have communal responsibility to fulfill. So everyone's role is a very important valid role because you can't have society's function if everyone is only performing like one uh one job skill right but it's easy to start like losing a sense of conviction and belief or not feeling like contentment or strength because sometimes the imbalances come in different modes and so the hadith the quran that speak about for example now the challenges that manifest through gossiping, the lying, 
you're trying to figure out, well, what's the state of like my spiritual self? What kind of things are elevating my soul and my consciousness? Well, there's going to be impact when you engage in the haram. That's not just the consumption of swine and the drinking of wine and the committing of zina, but like being racist is haram. That's going to hurt your spirit. It's going to hurt your soul. And that's what's moving on to the next prism of existence. You see what I'm saying? You start to read now through a place that says ritual is not just an end, but a means to something. And I create aspiration for myself. And the biggest obstacle hurdle is going to be this self-deprecation. There's four types of thoughts that we can have within our kind of cognitive state, right? From a spiritual standpoint. Uh, you can have, well, before we do that, like, statistically, most of us, we think anywhere from 12,000 to 40,000 plus thoughts in a day. It's a lot. 80% of those are statistically identified as negative thoughts. So four out of five thoughts that you think are in a negative prison. 96 of those are repeat thoughts. Thoughts that you've thought before. So not only are the majority of the thoughts negative, they're compounded again and again and again. Sakwa, which we'll talk about in another week, is not the ability to think. Everybody's thinking. All of you are thinking something right now, right? Some of you are thinking like really weird random things. Some of you are thinking like deeply about different things. Some of you are thinking like things that you might not want anyone to know, and some are waiting for your chance to talk. Consciousness, Sakwa, is about reclaiming the ability to choose what you think about as well as how you think about what you're thinking about. Does that make sense? Including how you think about yourself. How you think about the things that are around you. And recognizing what's cultivating the perspective that I have to begin with. And so it's hard, but you don't want self-deprecation to be there. And later on, we'll talk about core beliefs as well. Why do we see things in negative, right? Somebody has told me since the beginning of my existence, they're like, I'm just the worst. Or if people have made God to seem like an angry old man in the sky, why wouldn't I believe in God in that way? Or if people weaponize religion and turn it into something where they have torn me down, in a way to make themselves feel better, I'm now passing that on by questioning other people's practice in an attempt to make me feel good by making them feel bad and pointing out only where they lack and where they're terrible at them. But if you don't know where you are in relation to where you'd like to be, you're not going to get to where you'd like to be because, again, it's not about where you want to end up, but you don't know where your starting point is. You see what I'm saying? So the purpose of this conversation is for us to walk away, not with like a big plan or a strategy, but to recognize that you're bigger than the body that you have. And it's not just about memorizing terms, but to believe that these are things that actually exist. Like, do you believe you have a mind? Do you believe you have a heart? Do you believe you have an ego with inclinations in different ways? How do you start to now 
draw a plan or a strategy of relation to these things, because if each part of them is a part of what makes you whole, then not any one of them exists without you in your entirety, right? You are not any one of your thoughts because somebody's got to be thinking those thoughts, nor are you any one of your feelings because somebody has to be feeling those feelings. So in a space that says that I am now choosing what's going to be sovereign, do I want the nafs to be sovereign or do I want my heart to be sovereign? I want my heart to be sovereign, and that's what's making decisions. What am I doing to cultivate a deeper relationship with my heart? I'm engaging in practice that allows for me to like take what I've been taught, but to now see it through a different paradigm that says, this is what's going to help me to elevate the right? So I'm not just still like bowing and prostrating and bowing and prostrating. But like the world is still heavy. My inward perspective on it allows for the outward gain to be something that then shifts. Does that make sense? I'd love to hear what a few people think before we wrap up. I know I promised that we're not going to go super over time this week, so we're going to wrap up soon. So what does it make you think? Like, what does it bring up to you? Why don't we do this? You can turn back to just the people sitting around you. Like, where does it take you in your thoughts to conversation? Questions, comments, like anything, even if it's confusion. But so that we're all talking to each other and we're in a place where we can explore that. And then we'll come back and we'll, we'll debrief on it. What do we talk about just as we're wrapping up? What did you guys come up with? Yeah. Have you heard of intrusive thoughts? I have heard of intrusive so, thoughts. It's like, it's like when you're driving, sometimes you think, 
you know, what if I... <laughs> 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 so, like, when you say controlling what you think, that, that's what comes to mind. Okay. <laughs> that's it. That's what we got. <laughs> 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 yeah, good. What else? In the plane? You think you like that when you're riding in a plane, you said? Oh, yeah. I always think that's like, a problem. <laughs> I don't know. Like, kind of to offshoot off of that, I was thinking more of like, why do I really think like this? Like, what's the reason behind that? I self definitely work with myself in such a like, negative bubble. Oh, they're not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna get me such a downer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it yeah, was yeah. like I feel like sometimes it's like I well, number one, I think like because I tell myself that if I let myself think positively about myself, it like develop like a negative ego, like I be arrogant. Which I don't know why, but like it's just like something I think I believe, and it, I think it could have this because I have a tendency to compare myself to a lot of people, and so it's like I've always been told like growing up that like to be the best, I like had not necessarily be best for myself, but like whatever I chose to do with my life, I had to be the best out of everyone. So it's kind of like pushed me into this like sphere of like, okay, well, there's my friend. He's over there doing so well, and I'm over here doing the same things, but I don't have the same results. And so, like, I didn't feel like I was the best, and I was working more so to be like, I, I was essentially comparing myself to everyone. And so, like, it kind of led into that idea of self deprecation, where all you see is everybody else's results and not your own. Then, how are you going to feel good about yourself? Mm. Yeah, that's hard. And part of the process, and that's why I say, like, you pay attention to what comes up. You don't have to name it or make a conclusion on it, but you start to see what's what's arriving, like what's getting in the way, so that you can then figure out when it makes sense, how do I address this, right? You're not good because you're better than someone else. You're good because you're good. You don't, that doesn't mean that someone else also is not good, right? And we wanna be a community, we wanna be people who are able to celebrate achievements and successes of the other, right? To find joy in other people's happiness. You know, to not have to live in a way where someone else must have nots in order for me to have, you see? And a recognition of something like this becomes important so that I can now say to myself, well, what gets in the way? What's building that? So I can deconstruct and then construct a different prism of perspective. But if you're never thinking about the various parts that make you you, like character, integrity, the body, spirituality, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, whatever, or when you think about it, you're thinking about it only in a prism of negatives and like either where somebody else is terrible or like where you're terrible, there's also not going to be a productive movement forward. You see what I mean? So what I would like for people to do is just sit with us a little bit between next week, this week and next week. And for us to spend some time, like come back to it later. And you wanna you wanna start, like we call it a reflection talica, because we want to actually reflect like upon something. You're reflecting back upon yourself. 
right? We're going to do, for example, a week where we talk about du'a. And what I'm going to ask you to do is like write your own du'as out. I write down a lot of du'as. Some of you have heard me make du'a. You've seen me like read du'as that I write down. It makes a big difference when you're bringing presence and reflection and contemplation. And it transforms the experience when you're just sitting in modes of contemplation out there, right? Imam al-Haddad, rahimullah, he says that reflection is the lamp of the heart. When it departs from it, there's no light in it, right? So you got to come ready to be able to not confront yourself. You're not fighting yourself, but you're equipping yourself now with an arsenal that's already there at your disposal. But most of the world teaches us to live in denial of it so that they can continue to sell us things, as was said, and we can chase after fleeting things for happiness, right? You've probably seen like the same memes that I see all over the place. If people are like, why are you spending $1,100 on a telephone where it's like a percentage of a down payment on a house that you can buy? And you're going to utilize the phone in the same way functionally as the phone you already have because you think it's going to give you something that it's actually not. And the imbalances that you're seeking to remedy are not based off of whether you own one of these things or not. Because now if everybody has one, like, do you ever sit and really think about, oh man, someone does not have one of these things? It just starts to work and you have like real conversation with yourself. And part of that's about productive interaction that says that, you know what? I do like speak poorly about people. And that definitely is going to impact like my wellness. I am not kind. Versus like, thank God, like I'm kind. You know, the beginning part of COVID, we'll wrap up here. One of the things that I became so grateful for was alhamdulillah that I had the ni'mah, the gift, the blessing of Islam. Because I saw people in New York City, man, who were doing disgusting things. For every person that was willing to forgive rent, there was women reaching out to our community. We raised about $7 million in COVID relief funds and dispersing it to individuals and micro-cash grants we had conversations with them individually. There were mothers with like little kids, single families, who their landlords were saying, we'll forgive your rent if you sleep with Eskimos. That's a potential of humanity. It's a dark potential, but it's a potential. I was talking to people in one of my classes today, and then Ham and I were talking about it briefly outside of my office, where these guys sent a letter to black students at UMass, it's just like, aside from the fact that you have these thoughts of people, the fact that you feel bold enough to share that kind of nonsense with somebody is telling of the kind of person you are. There's potential for people to get to that place. You're telling me those kinds of things are not impacting people's souls? impacting like people's hearts and where shaitan gets us the four thoughts we have and we'll talk about it later other than the negative prisms psycho psychologically you can have thoughts that are rabbani 
thoughts that are like from God, right? They're just good thoughts. Malakani thoughts, like angelic thoughts. These are the type of thoughts that are going to say that do like the extra stuff. Sit down and make dua after you pray, right? Don't leave like before you give greetings to people. You're going to then have nafsani thoughts that are going to tell you things like, you don't need to make dua, go. It's almost class time, right? Somebody else is going to serve the food and be the last one to eat, right? You just get in the front of the line. You're not doing a haram, but like you're also not putting someone else forward. And then shaitani thoughts are the kind of thoughts that are going to be like, you just don't pray. It's okay. There's a justification to say poor things about that person. I'm like, no, man. Like, what, what are you saying? Even where you think there's goodness, there's a potential problem. I was a TA at the, a local CUNY school when I was an undergrad here. And I remember going into the prayer room of that school in the middle of the winter, it was snowing. And I had gone to make wudu and came back to pray. And there's a small musalla. There's a guy leaning against the wall. Like he was like the boss of this place. And not to stereotype him, big beard, glasses. And some guy came behind me and he was like, let's pray together. And I said, sure. And we prayed, I think, Zohar or Asr together. And then as I'm done giving my salams, the homeboy against the wall says to the guy in Urdu that you have to repeat your prayer because this guy's wearing his socks and he just wiped over his socks when he made wudu and his prayer doesn't count. So your prayer doesn't count. And then I started talking back to him in Urdu and I said, hey man, like I can understand every word you're saying. And just for the record, I took my socks off when I made wudu. Even if I didn't, who are you to be judging anything? He was like, I'm sorry, brother. And I was like, you are sorry, man. <laughs> he thought he was doing something good. In whatever way, you give him the benefit of the doubt. And when shaitan can get you under the guise of goodness to be hurtful, that's not good, man. And so you want to be able to inventory, right? In retrospect, you think back to the day, like, what did I achieve? And what could I have done better? And the next day, you try to do it. And the foundation of all of this is a God that loves you more than a mother loves his child. A God that believes in you even more than you believe in yourself. So every opportunity of another day is to just get up and try your best again. And to be able to say, I lived well today, I'm going to live better tomorrow. I didn't live so well today, then I'm going to do better tomorrow. Because I'm not in pursuit of people who are foolish, I'm in pursuit of a God who's looking for a reason to accept them, right? So try to pursue wellness and try to pursue balance instead of being in pursuit of what this supremacist individualistic society tells us to chase after purpose and all of this other kind of stuff. The priority is to have wholeness and to be a source of wholeness for others. To spend some time between this week and next week doing some of this for yourself. Where do I stand in relation to these things? Right? In retrospect, don't do self-deprecate. I used to do this and now I don't. At least then you know what you could do. Just start doing it again.
And then if you have time, start to think aspirationally. Where do I want to move forward? What are goals that I have for me? And then be supporters of one another. And then uh, we'll see if next week we pick up on some of that a little bit, inshallah. Um, but individually, if you want to have conversations, you know, talk about any of it what comes up, um, feel free to reach out and you can do that as well. Um, so we're going to wrap up here. And uh, for those who haven't prayed Isha, we'll pray Isha um, in a few minutes, inshallah. Uh, otherwise, we'll see everyone next Monday. Um, a few quick announcements. We're going to do all of our same holidays that we normally do for the week. We shake Sahib tomorrow, Shake Aisha on Wednesday, Shake Ta'az and Shake Sahib on Thursday. Uh, this Friday after Jummah, we'll be having lunch. So try to stick around and plan to be here for lunch so we can all kind of get together, especially as the weather is getting colder. I don't know what's going to happen when it's really cold outside. We'll probably like provide hot chocolate and other stuff and sort of try to make it work until they let us eat indoors and maybe we'll go to a dining hall or something. It'd be nice as much as we can while the weather is nice to still spend time together um, outdoors while we can, eating together, um, sharing a meal together. So tell other people to come as well. The MSA here at Washington Square Park and the BMI um, sent out an announcement today about a mentorship program that they've started. You can sign up to be a mentor or to be a mentee or probably even to do both if you wanted to. Um, but it's a good way to be able to offer support and get support. So you're not kind of just going through things on your own, you know, whether that's professional advice, classes to take, et cetera. I recommend signing up for it um, in either capacity. Uh, there's a bunch of other events that the undergrads or, or the different clubs are doing. For grad students on Thursday at five, we're gonna do a grad student meeting group where people will meet out, out here. Um, so if you're a grad student and you know grad students, let them know. Uh, we'll meet up out here and then we're gonna go for tea in that area as a way for grad students to, to get together. And this is the last thing I'll say just on the announcement end. There's a lot more undergrads than grad students. One of the things that makes our community great is that everybody kind of gets along well together. So just try to reach out to some of the grad students when they show up to things some of them are like in a different phase of life, right? So be mindful of that in terms of how you're welcoming everyone in. You can still have connections, but for a lot, they're not like accustomed to being in New York City. Some are coming from international backgrounds. You know, they're not so well acquainted. It's really important that they have like kind of a good sense of support and community and sisterhood and brotherhood. So if you see somebody who even looks a little bit older, still go and like greet them ask them how they're doing what their time is like you know it'll it'll go a long way in getting them situated okay exactly okay um so we'll pray in just a few minutes and we'll see everybody next week if you would like to listen to more please donate to www.icnyu.org donate for more of our virtual programs go to www.icnyu.org classes if you have any questions, email us at info at icnyu.org.